You're listening to It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. I'm Kyle Hawk. Welcome to It's All Dead. I'm Kyle Hawk. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It has been a long time. This is uh, in seven, eight years now. Has it been eight years? Seven years of our uh, of us having It's All Dead and in this podcast. Uh, this is the longest break that we've ever taken. We've had some people actually reach out to us saying, is, is the podcast over? Um, it's not, because here we are with another episode. Um, I, I feel like before we get into the show today, I just kind of want to, I don't know, and I maybe I don't need to explain anything, but, you know, the world has been a strange and uh, bad place this year, and uh, it's impacted all kinds of things, included, uh, including, you know, um, you know, our ability to do this podcast for a couple of reasons. I think, you know, early on when the pandemic hit, I kind of like leaned into the podcast pretty hard. We were cranking out a lot of shows and it was like, this will be a thing that we can do to like, just bring positivity, have something good to focus on, make the best of the situation. And at some point the summer, I, I think just the weight of everything just kind of overtook me to the point where I was, I was scared to do the podcast. Cause I was like, anything we say is like not meaningful enough for like the moment, like of, of everything happening um, in the world and in our country. Um, there were so many things I wanted to figure out how to talk about, but I didn't feel like our podcast was the right platform to do it. And I really kind of got paralyzed. And in the midst of that, uh, my, my wife and my daughter and I moved out of our, we sold our home and we're going to, uh, it's, it's not a bad thing. We're going to have a new home to move to, but um, for the past couple of months, we've been living um, in, in an Airbnb that is literally smaller than a studio apartment. And so all of my podcasting equipment is boxed up in a storage unit. And I really don't have anywhere to go to like um, have my normal um, space to do a podcast. So you'll notice that this podcast probably doesn't sound as, as good as some of our others. Um, and you're probably going to hear uh, my daughter in the background at some point. And this is just going to sound like an amateur podcast. But I thought, one, um, there, there was enough people that reached out. I was like, man, we, we, there's people that like listen to this. So, uh, we should do one. And also, um, I just want to have a chance to talk about music again with my friends. And so, um, there's, there's really nothing at stake with this podcast today. We're just going to have a good time having a, um, a fun conversation, I hope. Um, but thank you all for bearing with me and with us, um, during these past few months. Um, it, like, you know, anybody that has stuck around and, you know, continues to visit the site and listen to the show. It, it means a lot. So thanks for doing that. Um, so without further ado, we're going to go ahead and actually talk about music now. And I am very happy to be joined by my good friends and It's All Dead co colleagues, Kyle Schultz and Nadia Alves. What's up, guys? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both for being willing to do a podcast again. And uh, it really started so... I'll just get cut straight to the chase. We're going to be talking about um, the recent list that Rolling Stone just put out. They updated um, their infamous top 500 albums of all time list that originated back in 2003, I believe. They did a redo in 2012 and then released an updated version um, just a couple weeks ago. I, I didn't even know it was happening until Nadia had texted me about it. And I was like, sure, I'll check it out. Um, and... I was actually, so I've got a complicated history with Rolling Stone and that, you know, I've subscribed to that magazine and it's been a very influential part of my life, but it also represents a sect of music journalism and music appreciation that definitely hasn't historically really aligned with my 
tastes and what I think is, is valuable. Um, and I'm not trying to throw Rolling Stone under the bus here, but there's just been other outlets that have been much more important in terms of um, my growth as a music fan and, and a music journalist. And I have a certain expectation when I come into something with Rolling Stone. Um, and they actually kind of shirked my expectations a little bit with this list that I was pleasantly surprised. And we're going to talk about some of that. But before we do, I want to tee it up for both of you. Like, Nadia, you obviously knew about it. Were you aware of the other iterations of this list as well? Was this something you'd kind of like followed historically over time to kind of be aware of what they do with this? Not really. Um, I also don't really follow Rolling Stone that much. Uh um, as much as I used to, I used to think it was kind of a big authority among, you know, Alt Press and all the other magazines that we've grown to know and love in the music journalism sphere. But um, I don't know, I feel like once they kind of moved away from music and started getting into more of like a wider view of culture, I kind of stepped back just because those are not really my interests. Um, it's mainly music. So yeah, I mean, I follow them just because they kind of have like their finger to the pulse, but not for much else. Kyle, what's, what was your relationship before I messaged you about, Hey, Rolling Stone has a new top 500 list. Were you, what was your background with all this? I think I have the same, uh, that you guys had. Like I, you know, I read Rolling Stone a lot for uh, several years and, um, there's uh, a lot of writers there that I really appreciate and, uh, I really enjoy their work. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. There was kind of a, shift away from my interests and I just kind of fell by the wayside. Um, I know of their past 500 lists and I don't remember uh, anything about them except that, you know, from time to time I'd kind of check out, um, you know, some of the higher tiers and just like, oh, this is what they voted here. I guess I better check this out. And I have completely flushed all that from my brain, apparently. Yeah, well, I I believe, and I know I've seen it before. I, at least the 2003 version of this list, and maybe the 2012 as well. They've actually like printed and bound, like you could buy it as a book. I, I doubt they're obviously doing this in in 2020, but um, it's been sort of a at least for the past 17 years, sort of a, a cultural thing. And Rolling Stone is, you know, we're not here if it's not for Rolling Stone. I don't want to completely throw Rolling Stone under the bus. Um, they've been extremely influential from a music journalism standpoint and culturally and politically. Um, but the, um, the, they're really the, if somebody's going to put out a, a, a list of 500, the greatest 500 albums of all the time that people are going to pay attention to really Rolling Stones, the, the outlet that's going to do it. My problem with it in the past and my larger problem with Rolling Stone in general is that, um, it's very much a place where you're going to find a whole lot of appreciation for like sixties and seventies white dude rock music. And, you know, that that has a place, but Rolling Stone hasn't necessarily always been on like the cutting edge of like where music is going. Um, in particular, um, something that was addressed with this 2020 list and what I th- thought made it worth talking about is especially in the top tier um, of this list on the top 100 and top 50, they made a huge reshuffling um, to finally basically shed light and give appreciation to a lot of black music and music by women that had been kind of marginalized in their um, stuff like this in the past, which I thought was fantastic. I mean, it was long overdue, but it was, um, it was good to see. I was refreshed when I looked at the list and saw things that I never would expect Rolling Stone um, to put on a list like this. And it it took way too long to get there, but they finally did it to an extent. And so that I want to talk about that a little bit. 
um, as we go through it. And what we're going to do tonight is we're each going to pick out a few albums from the list that kind of stuck out to us and share some thoughts about how we felt about where they fell in the rankings and our feelings about those albums. Um, so we're going to do that. We're going to talk about some things that we feel like were left off the list as course everybody that looks at these sorts of things is doing where's where's this album um we're gonna do that um but before we do just to get us started nadia what was when you looked at the list what was like the first thing that jumped out to you what was the first thing that entered your mind as you read through it okay so i started at 500 and went up to one i don't know how you're supposed to read that i don't know if you're supposed to go one to 500 or 500 to one but anyway 500 to one I went backwards. So um, the first thing that definitely crossed my path that I was kind of like shocked about um, was the addition of Harry Styles' Fine Line, which is a fine album. It's There's nothing wrong with it. It's a great album. Um, but considering its release date of 2019, I just feel like um, I feel like an album has to earn its way onto the top 500 greatest albums of all time list. I just feel like we haven't had a chance to sit with it enough for us to say, yes, it definitely belongs there. Yeah. I mean, there was that one. There's Billie Eilish. I, and I can see the argument for Billie Eilish. It, it's a tricky thing. These lists are impossible. Like, we're going to talk about all the things we don't like about it. It's impossible to do this. So, like, just knowing that that's out there, I mean, they're, they're going to feel... I mean, obviously, if you do this, you're like, well, we have to put something recent on there. But then making those sorts of decisions, you're immediately... There's going to be, like, detracting arguments to that. So it's... Um, but, the yeah, the, the Harry Styles, as far as recent stuff, was definitely... Definitely felt like a, a surprise to me as well. Kyle, what were what were your first impressions as you looked at it? Um, I did notice Harry Styles, and I thought it it seemed soon, uh, but I I haven't really listened to him enough. As like, yeah, maybe it's a good album. <laughs> um, what the first thing that struck me was Lady Gaga's uh, "Born This Way" um, coming in at like four eighty four, and I remember just kind of staring at it and being like, I like that album. Uh, I remember when it came out, everyone I knew who listened to her was really disappointed with it. Uh, I, th- I think it's kind of got its fan base that's kind of built up over the years. I don't really follow her as much as I used to. Um, but I remember just kind of seeing that and going, well, I really hope the fame monster is on here somewhere further ahead. And I don't believe it was. Yeah, um, that was, I think that was her only entry on there. And it's a it's a fascinating choice for sure. First thing for me, the Marvin Gaye in the top spot. I know in the 2012 uh, version, they had Sgt. Pepper and the Lonely Hearts Club Band uh, was at number one, and that album tumbled all the way to number 11. And the you know the top 50 is still very top-heavy with Beatles stuff, but it, it was interesting to see the way that they reevaluated all of that. And you know the what what's most interesting, there's a couple I'm going to point out as we talk through today. It's fascinating if you look back to 2012, 2003 and see what albums have been like on all three, but they switch places and then wondering why. And over the course of time, like, you know, it's been decades since we've had, uh, you know, the, the Beatles run, but like, you know, some of those albums are always going to be timeless and always be in these conversations. But why is it that eight years later, an album that came out in the sixties tumbles 11 spots on a list or something that I, I don't really know the answer to that, but it, it definitely would have been fascinating to be um, a part of these conversations as they had them. Um, so I guess what we can do here is we'll just kind of take turns, like sharing a few albums that um, we found of kind of interest um, on the list here. Um, so I, I'll go ahead and start off. The, the The first thing that I saw as I was going through the list and it came in at number 475, so pretty early on, uh, was Sheryl Crow's self-titled album. 
And this is um, an album that I had on cassette tape growing up. And it was really surprising to me to see that album on this list. It's an album I loved um, as a kid. I don't go back to regularly, but I mean, the singles from that album, like I can sing those like the the back of my hand. I sing A Change Would Do You Good to my daughter all the time. Um, if it makes you happy. Every day is a winding road. Like the some of these songs are like so grafted into uh, my adolescence that it's it's almost like it's playing in the background of memories in my mind. And so I was really excited to see um, this album here because it, I feel like it's a really underappreciated album. It's 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 an album whose songs people like again they kind of hear in their life in general, or they hear them over the speakers, but you're not processing like what that album was in the moment. And one of the things that stuck out to me um, as I was looking at this list, I was talking a little bit about kind of the, the decades that Rolling Stone has a tendency to appreciate the biggest jump that I saw when I was looking at it from a decade of the 2012 version of this to the 2020 version was the nineties. It jumped from like, um, a, a pretty small percentage of the total albums on the list to like over 20%. And I, I have a lot of theories about why that happened. And I think a lot of it is because of the appreciation they started giving to rap music, which really started to come into its own and coalesce as a, as a real genre in the 90s. And that wasn't a genre they were uh, really giving a lot of love to on past lists. But you also saw a lot of other sort of 90s um, alternative and, uh, and rock albums sneak into the, the list as well. Um, and so Cheryl Crow's was, that was kind of the first one where I was like, man, I really love that album and it's really cool to see it on the list. So, uh, Nadia, what about you? Alrighty. Um, let's go with the nineties theme. So I actually did the math. I'm not good at math, but I did the math. Um, I'm actually only one album short, so I don't know which one of these numbers is wrong because I, one number is not enough for me to recount. Um, there are 156 70s albums and 101 90s albums. So I think when I was looking at the other two lists, it was largely 60s, 70s, 80s, but it did switch from mm-hmm. like 60s to 90s, um, which yeah. I thought was interesting. Um, but is. the first album I think that I want to talk about, let me look at my notes here, um, is my favorite album on the list, which is In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Number 376 which should be higher, definitely, um, came out in, I believe, 1998, which meant I was one year old. <laughs> um, so I wasn't listening to it for a while, but it's okay because I've got it now. Um, so I just feel like it revolutionized um, what alternative music would become. And of course, with the singing saw, the um, original instrumentation that they used, I think it's recent enough to move it into the top 100. Nice. Um, I, and I want to clarify for everybody listening, when we talked about doing this podcast, I think Kyle and I both kind of like grazed across the list casually, like a cat cow wandering through a pasture. Nadia is like coming into this conversation tonight with spreadsheets and data. And I, I don't know if she's slept in the past two weeks, but she has done like some serious, some serious research coming into this. So um, I'm, I'm, I, everything that she has to say, like, I'm just like, Yep, that, that, that has to be right because you've spent more time with this than Okay, the reason, though, that I have all this information is because I didn't do any research over the past two weeks. I did it over three days. Um, so I feel very unprepared for this podcast because I was like, oh, the podcast is two weeks away. I'll be fine. And then um, I haven't been fine 
So I had to read the list and reread it over and over again. I probably know it better than uh, the Rolling Stone people do. I, I'm not going <laughs> to argue with that. Um, Kyle, what's the what's the first album for you? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, probably the one that I appreciate the most now. Uh, you know, the the thing that really struck out or stuck out to me with this is that I have taken a lot of pride in the fact that I listen to a lot of music, a lot of different genres and stuff. And um, going through this list, I think I've listened to hardly anything on it. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> um, the, the one I appreciate the most, though, is uh, I kind of randomly have gotten on a big David Bowie kick uh, recently. And, um, you know, I, I've listened to him before, but I, I really started delving into his albums uh, in the last month or so. And um, uh, someone that I've worked with has for years told me, you know, David Bowie's Low uh, is something you need to listen to. It's the beginning of his Berlin trilogy. And it's a renowned uh, album just for how different it is from uh, his work and everything else that came out at the time. And I actually just listened to it last weekend. Uh, you know, I've heard it a couple times, but I listened to it last weekend and really listened to it and really got it for the first time. And it's insane for what it is and the fact that it was um, almost in the top 200 uh, of the list is I really appreciate where uh, how high it climbed during that. Your uh, deep dive into David Bowie this year is one of the most uh, unexpected events, uh, I feel like. And so, I, um, but I've been fascinated to hear you talk about it. So I, I feel like we're going to need like a full feature article on your uh, exploration of, of David Bowie. Um, Nadia's chatting other than Nadia and Twilight. And look, it's a pandemic. <laughs> People are just getting into stuff that they've never, never looked into before. You, you might as well. Um, what what else do we have to do? So, um, well, I've got, I've, I wrote down like so many and I can't talk about all these. Um, but I'll, I'll talk about this one and I've talked about it before. Number 442, the weekend beauty behind the madness. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because, um, obviously I reviewed the new weekend album after hours earlier this year when it came out. And shortly after that, we did a podcast with Evan Saudi. And if you listen to that one, you heard me talk about how after hours may be the weekend's best album. And I've, spent more time with that album than probably any other album this year. But after seeing this list, I went back to Beauty Behind the Madness, which was an album I was obsessed with when it came out in 2015 and still love. And I have to walk back on my my proclamation. Beauty Behind the Madness is, is still the best thing uh, The weekend has put out. And it's almost, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a good analogy for it. But, you know, when you see a magician do a trick um, and, and The weekend has a very specific corner that he kind of owns, it's always amazing um, to watch somebody that can do something that you can't. And that's really fascinating, but there's nothing like seeing them do it the first time. And that's what I feel like really happened with beauty behind the madness. We saw this artist lean fully into this character that blurred the lines between what was real and what wasn't and, and what story he was telling. And it's just a, it's a dark descent into um, drug use and, and depression and loneliness in a way that, starts to tunnel its way towards hope. And obviously that's captured in the album title itself, but to see, uh, just to go back and experience it, I was taken back to like how I felt when I first heard that album. And I, I still think that um, it's his best work and it's definitely worthy of, of being on this list. So uh, Nadia, you're up. Alrighty, let's do this. Um, 
So I only picked like four albums I wanted to talk about instead of five. Um, so we'll go with my next one, which is Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures, which is 211 on the list. Um, I'm actually pretty happy with that ranking. I feel like it's not too low. It's not too high. Um, when I think of the older albums that are important to music history, I take into consideration a lot of like a lot of different things like the album um, or whether it's a single or the band itself or a tour that they did. Like what has what did that album or that like cycle in the band's history add to the canon? Um, and I think that Joy Division's tragic history, um, it kind of started the conversation about mental health in the punk scene. Um, punk has always been very political, but I feel like it became a little bit more personal as we started seeing a lot of the deaths of frontmen and guitarists and drummers and all kinds of these things that fame had brought to these people's lives in a negative sense. Um, but it was a strong debut for a band that otherwise, other than the suicide, um, they could have had a pretty illustrious career. And it's kind of a bummer. That's a really great explanation of like um, Joy Division's place in punk history. That's probably as well as I've heard anybody put it. And I really love um, them. Yeah, for sure. I've I've kind of always had the kind of back and forth conversation in my head between Joy Division and New Order, which both represent very specific things that are, that serve as like a genesis point of influence of different types of music that I love. Um, and I've, that's what I love so much about um, that story is that you've got these two like almost polar opposite versions of a group of people that are creating something that kind of Definitely. transforms into its own genre and movement. So um, very cool. Uh, Kyle, what about you? Um, I'm going to go with Green Day's American Idiot, which was listed at, uh, number 248. And I am grateful it's within the first, uh, half of the list. I do think it should be higher up. I don't entirely know where. And, uh, my reasoning for that is just, I, I really feel like that was the last great punk album that's come out. Um, you know, when it, when it came out, it was an event. It revitalized Green Day's uh, career. Um, you know, it was really one of the biggest rock records that I remember uh, coming out. Like, it, it had a place in history during the uh, Bush administration. It made a dent in the way people thought about, um, you know, the country at the time. Uh, it is just something that I have friends who don't listen to rock music uh hardly at all and they know every word of that album i i I feel like it's a bigger deal than some people give it credit for and uh, i think it deserves a little more respect than it got yeah i uh and i knew that was obviously going to be one of the albums that you'd speak of and you know there's not a big punk presence um on at least in modern punk music um, on this list. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but Green Day certainly is like the one obvious choice. Like, you know, if Rolling Stone's going to put like a modern punk band on this list, there really is, it's only going to be Green Day. Um, But to that point, like American Idiot, you can make an argument for, for that album being higher on the list just because of like the cultural impact that, that it's had um, not only on modern punk music, but on, Um, I think pop music in general over the the past 15 to 20 years. Um, I, I guess this is where I'll go ahead and do my Kanye thing. I look, you know, when I, my first thought before I even pulled up the list was going to be like, I wonder what the past like two or three years has done 
to Kanye um, in terms of a list like this. And we have to ask that about a lot of artists like the Michael Jackson's. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that over time you're having to reckon with the person and, and the artist, right? Um, so the first six Kanye West albums are all on this list. They have Yeezus at 269, 808's A Heartbreak at 244, Graduation at 204, uh, Late Registration at 117, College Dropout 74, and My Beautiful Dodgers of Fantasy at 17. And my, the only thing I want to comment on this is how they, how out of order these feel. Like, I just, I feel like Rolling Stone's uh, observation of Kanye and his trajectory as an artist, like, doesn't match, like, the general consensus of, like, hip-hop fans and Kanye West fans. Because um, Graduation, I'm not sure, you know, and I, I really wouldn't argue it onto this list at all. Um, and then maybe not even 808s and Heartbreak, but I think the the fall of, of Yeezus, and maybe it be, because that's his most abrasive work, and if you want to have to experience Kanye right now, you really wouldn't, you want like the least abrasive possible version of it if you can palette him at all. Um, so maybe that's why, maybe that was the punishment that that album took on the list, but in terms of like a, an actual body of work, it it's arguably... Um, his second or third best album. So the thing that stuck out to me about is that they have all these albums, which do really encapsulate um, the 2000s. I mean, if, if you look from 2004 to 2010 um, and beyond, but they it just feel like they completely fumbled or didn't know what to do um, with how to place these albums. So that, that stuck out to me. Um, but there you go. All right, Nadia. Um, I also feel like with 500 albums, it's difficult to kind of place anything. Um, yeah, like I feel like the sure. easiest one to place is probably number one. You know what I mean? Right. Like yep. everything that, that else under sense. that is just kind of, oh, we just had to put them in there somewhere. So we kind of just put a number on them. <laughs> yeah. Um, somebody's like like counting on a table one. like, this album is number 234 and I won't stand for anything else. Yeah. I just <laughs> feel like the numbers are kind of just whatever. Um, so you talk about separating the art and the artist and I am going to go crazy right now and i'm gonna say that i want to talk about abbey road all right okay <laughs> and which is number five which is an interesting number for them to put abbey, uh, abbey road at but i just feel like as somebody who used to be a big fan of the beatles like when sony purchased their estate from like michael jackson and suddenly the beatles were out there for everybody to listen to like i dove in hard like i had t-shirts and stuff um, but I feel like now going back a few years, like whatever you listen to, whatever you want, it just kind of is, um, now that I think about John Lennon and like his general distaste for women and the abuse of his wife and like all the other things that we kind of brush under the rug regarding artists, like I feel like the Beatles aren't as cool as they should have been. Um, they do matter, obviously. But like you talk about Kanye, and I feel like this applies to Morrissey as well. There's a Smiths album on the list. Um, we kind of have ignored, especially in some of their like little blurbs about each album, they kind of ignored the faux pas that these people have made. Um, and I feel like, yes, we can separate art from artists, but sometimes I feel like we shouldn't. Um, I feel like we shouldn't be applauding the Beatles maybe as much as we do anymore, just because of self-awareness and the political climate that we live in. Like, I feel like we should have some critical thinking. Um, and all of the other Beatles albums are in the top 50. Um, and I just feel like it might be time whew, to drop them down lower. 
<laughs> I mean, really what you're looking at is a band that, I mean, it, anybody in that era that like skirted by um, like the period of time that we've lived in for the past five or 10 years, like it's, it's definitely a thing where people have to figure out like how far back they want to go to re, re, retroactively reevaluate things that have been public knowledge for a long time. It's, it's just like the Michael Jackson thing. So I, I'm with you on it. Um, I think the the way that the the Beatles kind of um, I don't know skirt underneath that is the fact that there were a lot of people I think at the time that found John Lennon to be an asshole and like reconciled it in their own way at that point, and so now you've had like decades of people like already having their kind of opinion set about it and then just making their decision about how they feel about it. But it's a th- there's no doubt about it. Like I mean, you can't look through a list like this and not feel like complicated feelings about about stuff like that for sure definitely and i almost feel like that's why they had to drop sergeant peppers from the top spot um one to make room for a more diverse list which they did and two just kind of i don't know i feel like we don't stand for that stuff as a culture anymore and if you're going to redo this list over and over like we have to reflect like our like our growth as a culture for sure um kyle you're up yeah. Um, one of the things I noticed is I think there were only two Taylor Swift's albums on here. Um, 1989 came in at 393 and uh, Red came in at 99. And I almost feel shocked that only those two albums made it. Um, I, you know, we've talked, I love Red, we love Red. Uh, and I think it, it earned the spot it got. But um along the lines of like Harry Styles and newer albums and stuff, I feel like lover kind of got shut out. Um, and it, it's one of those things where I don't quite know what to think about that. I just noticed it went, Hmm. Or even her uh, earlier albums, the country albums just weren't on the list at all. And I feel like they've got more acclaim, uh, than even we give it credit for. Well, yeah, and I agree with you. There was a, a real lack of uh, modern country music on the list, like in, just in general. It, it just felt like very stark. Yeah. Um, and also, I was surprised about Taylor Swift as well. And I and I tried to think to myself about what was the what other albums would I have argued into a top five hundred list, and I realized I'm biased in that way. But it was surprising to see only two albums, and even read the highest charting one. What was it at ninety nine or something? Like it, it barely cracked the top one hundred. Yeah. And when you think about the cultural impact that she's had um over the past 10 years or so here it's kind of almost impossible to believe that she uh didn't have more of a presence on this list so that was she's the top woman in music so i feel like maybe they could have done a little bit better yeah for sure um let's see here okay uh this one this is a conversation i've had with so many people so many times in my life um, Nirvana is a very, I mean, really one of the five most influential bands in my life. Um, and with that, uh, you know, I'm a huge Nirvana fan and I have, um, always, I mean, for years now have argued the superiority of in utero over Nevermind. What I can't argue is the cultural impact. Nevermind is like one of the last like earth shifting albums that we've experienced where like an album came out and then nothing was the same again. And after that album released in the musical world here in America, um, that that's the, that's the real impact that's inarguable that Nevermind had. But that being said, and I love Nevermind, 
in utero their next album is is a better album like it's objectively better and more interesting and more fascinating and more diverse um so if you're going to argue nevermind as being the better album you you just have to only focus on that cultural impact piece but i also think it's like way more interesting if you want to do that to focus on the album that was written basically in the final hours of, of, of a great artist's life which is what in utero represents so while i understand that nevermind is always going to rank higher on lists like these what i don't understand is how nevermind is at six and in utero is at 173 that just does not compute in my brain um i'll die on that hill and uh yeah i don't i, I I know at least a couple people in my life that agree with me. I don't think it's the general populace opinion, but hey, there you go. I agree with you. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> my uh, my hot take, you're not going to enjoy this, is uh, I've always thought Nirvana is a little overrated. All right. And yep, when I saw them ahead. at... <laughs> <laughs> I love Nirvana, so we could talk about them all night, but it's fine. We won't. <laughs> Kyle, no, you're Kyle, booted so- off the podcast. I'm so sorry for disappointing you both so quickly. Speak speak your piece. (laughs) And forever hold your uh, piece. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I like them and I I can appreciate, um, you know, what they did for music and the grunge scene and everything. But uh, I I don't feel like Nevermind holds up as well as a lot of people like to think it does. Uh, I, you know, and I've gone back to it a lot over the years and it's just, it doesn't do for me what it did when I first heard it. Um, and I, I almost feel like because it's Kurt Cobain, some people are afraid to admit that maybe. Uh, and I might just be on my own here and that's absolutely fine. Um, I, I didn't think it deserved number six and I'll, I'll, uh, go back into the shadows now. And I'm so sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, I would switch the place of those two albums if, if it was my list, but, um, you know, so I'm in agreement with you there to an extent. I think I, literally it, it just all comes down to, I mean, sure, never mind. It doesn't sound the same today as it did in 1991. Um, but that's not, that's like a different conversation, I think, than the idea of the album existing in its moment of time and, and an impact it made in that particular moment of time. Yeah. Yeah, not Kyle, a- it's not the time or place, all right? <laughs> I think Green Day is overrated. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> all right, never mind. I'm totally joking. LOL, I made a pun. Um, okay. Yeah, all right, thank you. Okay, so my final album that I want to talk about um, is Rumors at number seven. Obviously, we all know that I love Fleetwood Mac. Um, my bone to pick with the list is how many repeats they gave certain artists. Um, We talked about the Beatles. A couple people had multiple albums that I feel like it was more about the singles on the album than it was about the album as a whole. And I'm wondering where the rest of my Fleetwood is. Um, They're a backbone of 60s and 70s rock. Like, we don't have to talk about why they're at number seven, like, rumors. And their whole career has, like, it's a given. I'm not actually mad about the placement for rumors, but um, I'm actually pretty happy with most of the top 50. I would have put most of the albums kind of where they are. Um, but I just feel like Stevie Nicks deserves more. Yeah, I mean, it was surprising not to see more Fleetwood Mac on the list, but um, I also think it kind of goes back to like they they had to make cuts in certain areas to make room for other stuff in the 60s and 70s. Like I think took the biggest hit. 
Um, and yet all and the Beatles forever. albums are still there. Yeah. Mm. But um, yeah, it's like, I just feel like you kind of have to, like, I don't want to say pick one album from each artist, but if it's the greatest of all time, like, and yet all of the list is made up of like the same five artists, then is it really the greatest of all time? Like, should we should we just make a list of the 500 greatest artists? I don't know. I just feel like it, they kind of got... I don't know if they got tired maybe and they were just like okay i guess we'll just put all of these albums by this one band in here and we'll be fine um but i yep. feel like it's some of them question. like i don't know some of them just didn't need to have multiples yeah i mean uh there was a few years ago the ringer um did a list of like the top 100 tv episodes of the 20th century or something and they made it so that a show could only have one episode on the list because otherwise it would be a list of Sopranos, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, and the Wire episodes. And so the only way to like circumvent that and like spread uh, the love around is to like set a limit. And, you know, they didn't do that with this list. And I think that's kind of where you ran into that. Definitely. And I think if they had taken out some of those older albums, kind of like put a limit on the number of uh, like albums an artist could take up on the list, I feel like they could have put more newer music and it wouldn't feel so like jolting to see an album from 2019 on the list because there are still other albums like that. There were only three. It was literally Harry Styles, Fine Line, Billie Eilish, and then um, Norman Rockwell by Lana Del Rey. Uh, I just feel like we could do a little bit better on like the timeline. Like, I just feel like not everybody needs all of their albums represented. Sure. I agree. I'm just Kyle? Um, mine, and it's my biggest point of contention with the list, is Oasis, uh, What's the Story of Morning Glory coming in at 157? Um, I can personally consider that album to be a masterpiece. Uh, and, you know, thinking about Oasis when it came out, they, you know, at the time, they were kind of heralded as, like, the second coming of the Beatles. Like, uh, you know, one of the, one of, if not the biggest band in Britain at the time, uh, invading America, becoming one of the biggest bands here. That album has Roll With It, Wonderwall, uh, Morning Glory, and personally, I believe the greatest song ever written, Don't Look Back in Anger. Yes. Um, and it's just, it's a masterwork in rock. It's something that almost every song on the album is a staple for uh, everyone you know, they're stadium songs that still hold their edge. Uh, it's just, it's so well done. It's so emotional. It's so uh, gripping all the way to the end. And some of the greatest guitar riffs I've ever heard in my life. And it made 157. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, Tell them, Kyle. Well, and as we all know, there's nothing complicated or frustrating about the the Gallagher brothers. So, um, you know, likable figures. Seriously, I wish they didn't hate each other. It would make it so much better. (laughs) Um, Okay, Kyle, do you have a fifth album that you're going to talk about? Um, I was only going to mention real quick, just in passing, I thought it was really interesting that uh, Frank Sinatra is on there with In the Wee Small Hours, uh, coming in at number 282, and um, I, I just thought it was interesting. You know, he's such a big uh, icon of music and only kind of had a passing uh, reference on the list. And granted, it is with one of his, uh, uh, you know, more memorable albums. But even so, it's 
the album they picked is one that doesn't really represent who he was as an artist as much as maybe some others do. Um, but I, I enjoyed seeing that. I thought it was kind of cool. And uh, it also struck me that if that hadn't been on there, I would have never even thought to put Sinatra on this. Yeah, interesting. Well, I'm surprised neither of you mentioned uh, didn't mention um, My Chemical Romance, The Black Parade. That's literally like the only scene album that made the list. And I was shocked when I saw it on there. Like I literally was stunned. And, th- and then it raised the question of, in my mind of like, if only one album from the scene could have made the list, what would the album be? I think there's a, a good argument for um, The Black Parade. I'll be interested to hear what, what the two of you have to say here in a minute. Um, I'm going to run through just a couple. I mean, both Frank Ocean albums on the list with Channel Orange and Blonde was great to see. Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill at number 69 really surprised me, um, but it also made me really happy. It's another album, kind of like Sheryl Crow's album. Um, it was just like such a, a huge part of my adolescence. And um, Alanis Morissette, I was going to see her in concert this summer. And of course, that's not a thing that uh, that any of us are doing. Um and then, oh, The Diary of Alicia Keys at 277. It's a masterpiece. I was happy to have it on there. And the last one I wanted to point out, number 49, Outcast, Equimini. Um, Outcast, like Nirvana, is a top five most influential musical artist in my life. And to see um, Rolling Stone retroactively finally shed so much light um, on some of like hip hop from the 90s um, before the genre crossed over, when it was still... When it was become when it was coming into its modern form, and you had so many voices telling stories that hadn't been told or heard in mass like that, and I know for me, it's why hip hop changed my life um, as a young kid who was sheltered and and living in suburbia um, to have like a, a a lens to look through into another world and other things that were happening in our country. Like that was it was such a huge and important time in my life. And Outcast was kind of at the, at the center of all of that. And Outcast is known, I think, from a popular standpoint, most for uh, Speaker Box and Love Below, um, kind of their, their later stuff when they, um, you know, were on Top Forty Radio. But Equim and I was an album. It's just a it's a seminal '90s hip hop album, and it's such a beautiful and engrossing work of art. And I, I was I was I just I, I like clutched my chest when i saw it at number 49 i was like i can't believe they're they're doing this and putting this album so high um but i, I was just like I, I was so happy to see that that that's the that's the one thing on the list that made me happier than than anything else so i um, just wanted to bring that out um because it was very cool um to go back to something i was saying a minute ago l- let's say that rolling stone could only put one scene album on the list nadia which one do you think would make the most sense um, I was actually going to say when you were talking about the Black Parade that I wasn't shocked at all by the addition. Um, so I actually would say the Black Parade. I just feel like it's very quintessential emo. Um, and I feel like their resurgence in the past year has kind of brought them back into the forefront of music in general. And I think that a lot of, like, I don't know, big people in music, producers, whoever you want to say is in charge of the whole deal. Um, has kind of looked at that and been like, oh, all right, maybe they were like as important as they thought back in, you know, 2006. Um, So I wasn't actually surprised at all to see Welcome to the Black Parade. I was actually pretty happy about it. Um, But I don't know. It just seems like the right, the right time for them to get some notice. Yeah. I feel like it's one of like, you know, two or three albums. There's only a handful that you could really make an argument for. I mean, I know that we would like fill the list with all kinds of albums like that, but like, if we expect Rolling Stone to do it, there's really only a couple 
that they're probably going to choose from. And, and Black Pride does seem like it's probably the most obvious. What, what were your thoughts, Kyle? Um, honestly, there, so there are two things that I thought were surprising. Uh, one, Fallout Boy's Infinity on High, um, it seems like it's something that it should glaringly be on there um, for almost any one of, you know, like our generation who kind of came up with that. It just one of those seminal albums that uh, is still worshipped today. Um, the other thing I really thought of is Panic at the Disco wasn't on there. And there is a very real, uh, very legitimate argument for almost any of their records to be on there. Um, personally, I would have put Pray for the Wicked. Uh, I know it's a newer one, but I honestly believe that's the finest album the band's ever put out. That's a bold statement. Um, I, I would expect if uh, if they did a Panic album, it would have been a fever. But again, that's me thinking, like, I'm trying to think from Rolling Stone's perspective. And to your point, Infinity on High, if I was picking a Fall Out Boy album, I mean, I've talked about how that I think that's their best work. I would have put that on the list. But if Rolling Stone put a Fall Out Boy album on the list, they would have put From Under the Cork Tree. And they would have been wrong for doing yeah. so. But that's like, that's like <laughs> how I expect these these lists to happen. Um, I also thought there could, you could make a case for Paramore's Riot. Um, and again, I'm not saying necessarily that that's the best Paramore album, but I could I could have seen an album like that, like sneaking onto the list. Um, just cause I feel like in retrospect, that's an album that's kind of grown in terms of, uh, nostalgic appreciation. Um, even if like after laughter was kind of like their, their acclaimed album, I feel like riot is an album that people look back to now. Like even the people that like hated on it for all the shitty reasons that they did, like kind of look na- back now and they're like, Oh yeah, that was like a really important moment. Um, well, I've got, I don't know, I've got a list of a few things that I, I would have liked or I, I would have argued to see on the list. Um, I, I'll, I'll share a couple of those. First, speaking of Nirvana, I had to like check the list like three times to make sure that I I was right. There's There's nothing by the Foo Fighters on there. And I couldn't figure it out for a while where I was oh, like, holy crap. I was like, how did that happen? You know, and I, I guess if you want to, argue that a Foo Fighters album shouldn't be on the top 500 list that it's because they don't necessarily have like that album that everybody considers their greatest but the reason for that is because they've put out like so many great albums that they don't have a definitive one and I almost feel like that worked against them um, on a list like this because you you either have to put like three or four or you put nothing um, I personally would have put the color in the shape um, I think that was a really important album in terms of transitioning like rock music post nirvana and grunge into the new um alternative era that we were entering and also think it's just a a really great album but it just seems it just seems like not right that um that dave grohl is like is not represented on this list in that way so that that kind of bummed me out um carly ray jepson's emotion i've talked about it and talked about and talked about it i mean it's my favorite album of the past five years so obviously I'm, i'm biased in that way but that album was was lauded as a as an indie darling and a, um, and really a perfect pop album that we got in the past decade. And I I can't help but think that the next time they do this, that album is going to be on this list. But um, I, I thought it was kind of a shame that it wasn't. Um, from hip hop perspective, again, happy to see so much more um, on on the list this time. But most deaf, black on both sides, feels like an album that should have been represented here. And then finally, we already talked about kind of modern punk music getting slighted on a list like this, but metal and hardcore are as well, obviously. And Rolling Stone like doesn't have that audience. So like they're, they're not going to feed that out. If like 
if the people that read Rolling Stone don't care, but I think that it's, it's unfair um, to that genre. And so I could, you know, I could make an argument for like Under Oath and Define the Great Line, but I think more broadly, something like Deaf Heaven Sunbather, um, an album that kind of revitalized metal at large um, over the past decade seems like a really weird album to not show up on the top 500 albums of all times list. Um, but yeah, those are just a few that I kind of had that uh, I would have, I would have tried to sneak them in there somehow. Did you guys have others? I did. I had a couple. Um, I was going to say, it's strange that you talk about Paramore because <laughs> um, I would actually add not after laughter, but they're self-titled uh, It was kind of an important bridge for the more emo inclined of us to start walking towards the pop world. Um, they had, I've talked about this segue many a time. Um, but they were a pop band before 2017 when they released After Laughter. They were a pop band from 2013 when they released their self-titled. Um, and I think that it's just the best example of who they turned out to be as a band. Um, and I'm kind of bummed that there was no Paramore whatsoever, but I make an argument for their self-titled. Yeah, the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of ticked that Paramore isn't on the list. It doesn't form. make any sense. She's one of the biggest <laughs> voices in rock. Like, it literally makes no sense. She's one of the top female vocalists of our time. Um, and nobody cares about her. And it's not cool. Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, should I go on with the rest of mine like you did? Rapid yeah. fire? Already. Just, yeah, rapid fire. I only had two more. Um, we talked about the Black Parade. Um, but I think pop punk is largely ignored. And so I would add The Greatest Generation. Um. Like we talk about the greatest albums and I feel like we should be talking about the greatest albums in each genre. Um, I don't know. We just kind of ignored it. And I feel like when you think about pop punk, like yes, the black parade, but I think also the wonder years started, you know, to bring that back into the picture as well. And I think that it's not fair that that album's not there because it is a great album and it's kind of just Americana based anyway. And they have so much Bob Dylan and, you know, Loretta Lynn and so much I don't know I just feel like it would have been a good fit and then my final album is Far by Regina Spector um there's a lot of diversity in the list we have plenty from the British Invasion we have a lot of Afrobeat which is interesting to see I listened to a little bit of that when I was doing my obsessive listening um but she's a Russian American woman who sings about politics and the way things um are and have been and given like the current climate especially with russia and other countries who are under like a communist regime like i feel like we should be listening to her as well and far holds up so well all these years later all these years later and it's unique i just feel like it's a shame that she got left out yeah it does regina specter seems like somebody you can pretty easily argue on um and i think we all know that if we all made our respective 500 lists like the wonder years would both they'd be all over i think that should be our um, next project it's an undertaking (laughs) (laughs) nadia can knock it out tonight kyle and i ought to take the next three years i could probably give it a shot um kyle do you have any others that you wish would have made it on uh yeah i just got a couple um the biggest one i wish would get on a list like this and it it absolutely never will is afi's crash love um 
it's the perfect AFI album. It's an anti-pop album that does pop music. It sheds off their hardcore roots. Um, and it's just, it's beautiful all the way through lyrically, musically. Um, it's just, it's so different from anything else they do. And yet it's still a definitive sound for them and fits in with the rest of their discography perfectly. Um, I'd also say there's an argument for something corporates North. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of forgotten, uh, since the band's been broken up for almost two decades now, but it's hard to kind of downplay at the time it came out, just how big it was. Uh, you know, I remember space, the first single from that playing on like, uh, Fox at night at like 8 PM during their big shows, uh, came on during a commercial break and I lost my mind because I couldn't believe they were being, uh, you know, thrown out to a mainstream audience and it's one of those albums that not a lot of people talk about anymore, but when you bring it up, everyone just kind of stops what they're doing and goes, oh, yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> um, and last but not least, uh, and it's another new one that is, probably still hasn't earned its way on there, I would argue that the Interrupters fight the good fight. Uh, there's a chance it could be on there. It's a Sky album that just came out two years ago and has more or less like revitalized the conversation about the genre that uh, almost everyone has kind of, you know, thrown to the wayside for the last decade or two. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a band that put out a ska record and had radio play in the late 2010s. Um, they, it's simple and it's just, every song is fantastic. And uh, I think there's a real conversation that, you know, even though it is less than two years old, I think maybe slightly over two years old, uh, it's definitely made its mark. Yeah, that's, you know, you've been singing the praises of that band for a while, but I, but I was thinking about um, when you talked about Scott, I just realized like No Doubt isn't on this list. Like you would expect like Tragic Kingdom or something to to pop up on a, a list like this. Um, and certainly that, I mean, there's really nothing. I don't, I, I don't think there's anything Scott um, on the, on the Rolling Stone top 500 list, which I guess maybe that's not surprising, but um, I think a fun game to play now that I'm realizing as we're talking about this is like the album that should be on the list versus the album that Rolling Stone would hear you say that and they'd put something else on. So when you said nothing or something corporate, they would have put uh, Jack's Mannequin Glass Passenger on the list. When you said uh, AFI's Cla- Crash Love, they would have put December Underground on the list. Like it's the uh, it, it's like the the actual best album versus like the consensus popular vote. Um, thing from like the general fan that isn't like deeply involved in any of it. I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like in my head it makes sense. And I just feel like that's what I mean when I say like, why do we have repeats? Because you have so many genres and bands that are ignored and underappreciated because, Oh, the, I, I don't know the estate of John Lennon will be mad if we don't put all of his albums on the list. Like I just feel like we could chill out probably. I know I keep going yeah. back to the Beatles because they're just the easiest for me to go back to. Um, but like, I, I just feel like they wasted some of their spots trying to keep everybody happy. Yeah. Well, Hey, you know, after all this, let's at least say this putting together our 15 best albums of the year list is like time consuming and a chore. They, they just did 500 albums. That's, that's bonkers. Um, and they probably got a, a lot of it wrong, but um, it's still, pretty wild that uh you know somebody can make a list that long so 
No, it's uh, it's insane that they're able to go through that much and reason their way through it, and uh, especially adding so many new um, you know, genres and albums into it, and going back to their other lists and having to sparse through. That's an insane undertaking, and it honestly, it's amazing that they've done it not just once, but they've done it now three times. It's incredible. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Well, Nadia, thank you for proposing the idea. Um, and Nadia and, and Kyle, thank you both for taking the time to talk for an hour about a uh, list of music albums. That was fun. Anytime. And listen, catch my 500 albums on the site very soon. <laughs> <laughs> it was a much morning. different list. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We're going to try to do this with a little bit more regularity. So again, thank you for your your patience with us. Um, As always, if you like our show, if you're like reaching out to us, asking us where the show is, for heaven's sakes, pull up uh, Apple Podcasts on your your iPhone or your iPad or your your Apple device and leave us a five-star review because that would really mean a lot to us. And of course, share the podcast with your friends, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, Um, that's going to do it for tonight. Thank you so much for joining and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the it's all dead podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then visit us at it's all dead.com for the latest music news reviews and much more.